Thank you guys for leading us in worship today. And good morning, MCC. Hope you guys are feeling good. Before we dive into the message, I want to take a second and just invite us into a time of prayer. Uh, as many of you are well aware, unless you have lived under a rock or you've paid attention to much lesser things here recently, uh, there's a real conflict that is going on, an all-out war that is going on between Israel and Palestine. And this is something that is happening on this planet that God loves that has global implications that I believe also has biblical implications. And it's something that we as a church should realize, recognize, and pray. And so with that in mind, um, I want to help guide you a little bit in the place of prayer. Um, pray for peace. Pray for peace. Uh, there are catastrophic atrocities happening on both sides of this. There are innocent people who are becoming casualties on both sides of this who want nothing to do with this. And what I know is none of this has taken our God by surprise in a world where people still have the free will to choose to love him and follow his statutes if he's going to continue to give us that free will, evil will continue to happen. People will continue to do horrible things in the name of a God. Whether that is the one true God, false God, there will be plenty of evil that continues to happen in this world until Jesus comes and redeems and restores it as long as there is still free will and the time to do that evil. And so what we pray for is we pray for truth, we pray for peace, we pray for God's will to be done and not for our own agendas, not for what we necessarily would even want, but we pray believing that God is in control, that he knows what he's doing. We pray for peace, and I believe this too. If you're here today and you're like, man, I, I, this is so complicated and complex, I don't even know what to pray. The good news is the Holy Spirit interprets our prayers even when we do not know what to pray. So what I'd invite you to do here for just a second is to just take a moment of silent prayer for what's happening and that God would use us and Christians around the world to not live in fear, but to live by faith. So I invite you to pray now. Jesus, you are this world's only hope. Pray that you would be with those who are suffering. We pray that you, the Prince of Peace, would bring the peace that only you can bring. If that peace is only available upon your return, let it be, Lord, in your name. Amen. You know, as we talk about things that are happening around the world, I don't think it's a random coincidence that today we actually have somebody who is a partner with us in faith and in Christ and our global missions in Iraq, Kenya, 
Today we have the unbelievable privilege of having here with us stateside uh, our good friend Tim Manti. So Tim, will you join us? Thank you, brother. For those of you who may not remember, about a year and a half ago, uh, we were going through the book of Ephesians and we were talking about how God has uh, adopted us and we prayed this uh, big crazy prayer together that God would lead us to do whatever he called us to do to care for orphans and vulnerable children. Well, a few weeks after that, um, we were made aware of exactly how we felt like God can answer that prayer and we were presented with this opportunity to sponsor children that are in the exact village, Narak, where... Tim leads their mission. And so some of you in this room right now, you have kids that you have sponsored that you're praying for that are on your refrigerator that live in his village. And I just think that is amazing how God works all of those things together. So um, Tim, would you just share with us a little bit about what God is doing there in Kenya? And then after that, I'd love for you to, to, to pray for our congregation. I'd love to pray for you. Thank you so much for having me here. And, uh, my wife and I, Lona, have been in working in Narok, uh, southwest, south of Narok, in places where nobody else would go. We are privileged to provide an opportunity for people to give their lives to Christ. We have planted more than 58 churches. Uh, we're working on uplifting more than 800 families out of poverty through the child sponsorship and uh, micro-enterprise instruction. And we're just so happy that God has been able to use us to reach that part of the country. And MCC have been our supporting churches for the last 25 years. So we're happy that you have your footprint in what God is doing in Kenya. So uh, you can still come and see what God is doing. As Jesus said, come and see. Uh, mm -hmm. So next year when we have an opportunity for uh, you to visit us in Kenya again, you're invited and you're welcomed. So allow me to pray with you that the Spirit of God may continually work in and through you. Let's pray together. I pray in Maasai, my language. John Jemita Shaw, Tinarishata, Nitagalaga Seninje. Omon and Gangit in Nosinati, Meturumo Seninje. Peggy Gilujeta drink his yen. Asher and Garagan enjoy your mother serenity. Thank you, Father, that we can worship you together in different languages, in different tongues, in different parts of the world. Thank you for this, your children. I ask this day that your face may shine upon them, that you may stir in them the fruit of the Holy Spirit whom you give freely, that they too may choose you all the days of their life. Thank you that they can stand in the gap and they can say yes to you, O oh God, whatever you ask them to do. Thank you that we are in this together. And thanks that you have allowed us to worship you. Bless us this day and in the days of our life. As we choose to follow you, show us how every new day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you join me, I invite you to just extend a hand. Uh,
as a sign of solidarity and prayer for Tim and his wife, Lorna, and their mission in Africa Hope. Father God, I thank you for this man, how you have moved and worked in his life. I thank you that on a day like today where we talk about heroes of faith, that he stands before us as one who embodies some of what it looks like to be a hero of faith, to go to the places where others dare to go, to have faith in the midst of adversity and hardships, and to do things that only could happen when a life is surrendered to God. And Jesus, I pray that you would continue to use him, the leaders that come after him, and anybody who would call upon you in Kenya to allow Kenya to be a place where the light of the world shines brightly. Father God, we pray that you would continue to uh, unite our hearts together in fellowship despite the distance between McDonough and Kenya. Father, I pray that you would continue to rise up uh, missionaries to go into those places, that you would rise them up even out of our uh, church here and the people under the sound of my voice. Father, I pray that your kingdom come in McDonough, that your kingdom come in Kenya, that your kingdom come here in this world as it is in heaven. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you, Tim. Well, today I want to talk to you about heroes of the faith. And if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to go and see this passage where we're going to navigate through this. In the book of Hebrews, we've been going through this as a church, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go down to verse 7 today. So grab your Bibles and let's get ready to dive in. Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Here's our passage for today as we dive into a few of these characters and learn from them what it means to live by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever who would draw near to God must believe he exists and he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Church, this is the word of God. So what's happening here in this passage is this pastor to the Hebrews church has been helping his church see the differences between a life that was defined by walking by faith or a life that was defined by shrinking back in fear. And what he's trying to do here in this passage is he's trying to help them understand you've got to walk by faith. And what he does is he says, I want you to remember some of your heroes in the faith, the stories that we've passed down, the stories that you know about. Let's remember what they did by faith and how what they did by faith points to Jesus, the one we now have faith 
in. So we talked about it. I read about it. Let's make sure we're on the same page. He says, faith is the assurance or certainty of things hoped for. It is the conviction or the proof of things not seen. He gives them this definition of what faith is. And then he begins to give them examples of what faith is looks like. And these examples are what we commonly refer to as some of our heroes in the faith. We're going to get ready to go through Abel. We're going to go through Noah. We're going to go through Enoch and Abraham and David. All these characters that we talk about in kids ministry and we read about and we hear about. And we're going to see how they show us what a life by faith looks like. Now, the question is, if this pastor is here in this moment And in order to encourage and inspire his congregation into more faith, he invites them to remember the faith of others. Let's make that applicable to our own lives and our own faith. I'd ask you this question. Is your faith forgettable? Or is your faith somebody, is your faith the type of faith that somebody, as they're counseling somebody who's going through something, they could be counseling this person and trying to encourage this person on, and they would say, remember your name. Remember what they did in their lifetime. Remember how they sacrificially cared for others. Remember how they did that crazy by faith thing and saw God show up. Remember how they by faith went through cancer. Remember how they by faith went through infertility. Remember how by faith they went through overcoming that obstacle in their life. Is your faith, the faith that somebody in a conversation to encourage somebody else would lean back into yours and go, hey, remember the faith them. I hope one day that one person in my family, whether it's a grandson or one of my sons speaking to one of his brothers, says, remember dad's faith and how he lived it out this way. Not to make me the hero, ultimate hero of their life, but hopefully the things that I did, the things that I showed them, it pointed them to Jesus. When people think about when your family, when your former coworkers, when your spouse, when people remember your faith that you claim to have, what will come to their mind? What will they remember? Not about what you did, not about what you said. What will they remember about your faith? A lot of people that know that you are people of faith. Some of you I know, are, you're not shy about it. You're not, you're not hiding that behind anything. What will people remember about your faith? And is your faith forgettable? Will they remember anything? Will the only things they remember about your faith be the ways that they felt like they didn't really see you necessarily live it out, but you were excellent at telling them all the ways they didn't live out their faith? Or will they have stuff that are real life, practical examples, things that they saw you do where they can go, that was what faith looked like. And my father, my mother, my friend, my brother, my coworker, my friend that is in small group with me, they showed me what faith looked like. What this pastor is doing is he's leaning into some of these heroes of faith to show us, I believe, what does it look like to have faith that is heroic. Now, in a room like this, we all show up and there's probably not a whole lot of us because we're maybe afraid of pride or for whatever reason who are going, yes, I am a hero of faith. Most of us are like, no, nah, that ain't me. Like, I'm barely getting by, big guy. But let, let me, let's back that up a little bit. If I was to ask you, parents in the room, would you want your kids, when they talk about you at your funeral, to be able to say, 
Mama wasn't perfect. But, <laughs> y'all are funny. But, but Mama was a hero of my faith. I wanted to have faith like she had. Dad, he wasn't perfect. But he's a hero of my faith. And he showed me what a man of God who lived by faith looked like. I think everybody in the room will be like, yeah, I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna be that. I want people to get up my funeral and say, they showed me what it looked like to live a life by faith. We would raise our hands and say, yes, I wanna be like that. The problem is we want to be like that, but we don't know how to be like that. And the good thing about this passage and the good thing about scripture and what this author of Hebrews is getting ready to do for all of chapter 11 is to show us some things we can learn from other heroes of faith, things we can emulate and put into our lives so that our lives can be that, that they can teach us so that we can no longer sit around and whine and be like, well, I wish I could, just nobody will teach me how. Listen, friend, we have this divine mentor in the Holy Spirit who gives us the word of God and says, I will show you what mistakes not to make. I will show you what this looks like to live this life, all the answers that you seek to find are found in here, all right? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna navigate through this. The first one that he starts with is this guy named Abel. Hebrews eleven four. By faith, key word, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, that's his older brother, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So let's recap a little bit, make sure we're all on the same page of who this guy Cain and who this guy Abel is. God creates the whole entire world, two original people, Adam and Eve, all right? They have kids. Their firstborn kid was a guy named Cain. Second kid was a guy named Abel. Story goes on a little bit, and there's a day that happens, and these two boys come and give an offering to God. Now, to make sure we're on the same page, we talked about sacrificial offerings, and we've talked about atoning offerings. What is happening here in this story between Cain and Abel is they are not offering a sacrifice that's going to cover their sins. And there's nothing in Scripture that points to that. What they're offering is a love offering. There's, this is not an atoning offering. This is, hey, God, we love you. We're giving you some nice stuff because you're our God and we love you, all right? Genesis, the passage where all this is laid out, Genesis chapter four gives us some good details on this. Let's walk through. This is where their story is found. It says, in the course of time, Cain, that's the older brother, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard. That word regard there doesn't just mean God was like, ooh, I really like that one. You just fit my fancy. Way to go, big guy, Abel. What it really means is that God gazed upon. It's like God centers in on and gives attention to this offering more than this one. He had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. That doesn't mean that God was just flippant, didn't recognize it, did not care about it. What it's saying is when he sees these two offerings brought in, the one who gets his attention and approval is the offering of Abel. So Cain was very angry at this and his face fell. Now, let's go back up to the top. It helps us understand some things happening in this story. When you see Cain's offering, and the attention to detail in the descriptive words given to explain what he gave, if you're like me, it seems kind of short. 
compared to the detail that's wrapped up in Abel's offering. When it talks about Cain's, it says, he gave him the fruit of the ground, period. When it talks about Abel, there's a little bit more detail. There's a little bit more light into the words. There are things I even highlight there. He brought the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. Now, some Bible teachers will come to this passage and say, well, God really liked Abel's more because Abel brought animals and he had to sacrifice. There was blood that was shed and that was foreshadowing Christ. Yeah, maybe, but if you go back and you read scripture, what you understand is that these two guys had separate jobs. Cain's job was to be someone who worked the ground. Abel's job was to be someone who took care of the livestock. So to ask one to go to his brother's thing and to go get this other thing and to do this was was asking them to go outside of the commission that God had already given him. So the, the clue as to how Abel did by faith and Cain did not do by faith is not so much wrapped up in what they offered. It's wrapped up in why they offered all right? And I want to hopefully try to explain that to you. I do think there is some keys and things we can understand here. Abel, when he comes in, he doesn't just offer God an animal. It says he offers a firstborn. And he offers the fat portions. Now, I don't know what kind of diet you're on, but back then, that was what you wanted. All right? Those are the important ones. Those are the ones you're not like, I don't, you know, some of you eat a steak and you cut the fat off and you give that to your dog uh, that you love too much, maybe. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you had to be here last week. Um, but this is what was the pleasing stuff. This is what he offers to God. So what we see and what Abel offers is Abel is offering God his first and Abel is offering God his best. The thing we can learn about our faith, the thing we implement based off of this is bring God the best, not just your rest. And I'm talking about the rest is just like, well, I see what I got left over. You know, it's been a crazy week, you know. If I can get to some quiet time, I'll get to some quiet time. But if I don't get to quiet time, God knows my heart. And I did that thing that's like pray without ceasing. And I was like, I was just doing all these things, going, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. Like that was my prayer. Or when it comes to my, my sacrificial giving, well, um, we'll see how this month goes. If I make the enough sales and things work out enough and no kid needs braces, then I'll give. But what God is showing us A by faith looks like offering God our first and our best. First parts of our day, first parts of our resource, first parts of our talent. Those are the things that we give to God because God has his best in mind for us. We offer our best to him. Now put Jesus in the picture. We understood that God did the exact same thing for us. God offered us in Jesus, his firstborn, and now offers us the invitation to say, will you be like me? and offer your first, and offer your best, and not just give me your leftovers. Will you give me your first and your best? The next thing that we can see in this story is as you see Cain, see what God does. He sees a God who sees Abel's sacrifice, pays attention to it, and gives it approval. One of the reasons we can tell that Cain did not give his offering by faith is because of how he acts when God does what he does to Abel. What did, what did Cain do? He gets angry. Which shows you and I what Cain really wanted. It shows us his motivation. The difference between Abel's by faith giving and Cain's not by faith giving is Cain gave to get. 
He gives what he gives, and he sits back and he watches. Ooh, okay, Dad, I laid this on the feet. I gave you this, God. Let's see what I get back. And when Cain sees God not give him back what he wants and sees God give his brother back what he wants, it reveals what he wanted all along. Not to just lay something at God's feet as a place of sacrificial offering. Cain gave God to get from God. God, I want to give you this so you owe me. I want to give you this so you'll tell me how good of a person I am. I want to give you this so I'll feel good about the good I do and I'll know that I'm a good guy. Cain gave to get. Abel gave out of love. And this is what we have to understand. When we give... When we sacrificially lay something, whether it's a relationship, whether it's finances, whether it's our time, when we give to God, we have to give to God expecting nothing in return. Here's the thing you need to know about God. He does not owe you anything. So anything you give is just you giving out love and sacrifice. God, I can never repay you for what you've done. My life, have it, it is yours. This is why we sing the song we just sang. We crown you. And so Abel does that and he gives by faith. Cain hates the attention, the approval that he gets. And what Cain does is he says, Abel, hey man, let's go out to the field. Come on. Takes him out to the field. I don't know how exactly the story goes down, but he kills his brother. First murder recorded in scripture. And there's Abel, blood spilled in the pasture. Now, one of the lessons by faith, and this is one of the most hard lessons of a by faith life that we can learn, is this. You'll be treated wrong even when you do what's right. Some of you are going, ooh, and some of you are nodding because you felt that. And you've done the right thing. You did what you knew God was leading you to. And, and, and somebody was still very angry at that. You still lost the job. You did the thing that you thought at the workplace was the integrity move, what you felt God was leading you to, and you got fired. You, you did what you thought was right, and somebody still did something evil to you. And what we see from the story of Abel is that when you walk by faith, you are walking by faith realizing that my good deeds, my obedience to God does not guarantee that I will live a life of health, wealth, and prosperity and everybody's gonna be my best friend forever. If it didn't happen to Abel, it didn't happen to Jesus, friend, it, it, it very well may not happen to you. The next story we see is the story of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. This story is just wild to me. There's this guy, Enoch, okay? And he lived a really long life. And then one day, he just ain't there no more, all right? And what's crazy is I think it like says he was not found, which personally, if I'm God and not, I just would have like, we'd been on a walk one day and then I would just been like, hey, let's do dinner at my place. You know, and then we just, we just take him. And then everybody else is like, where did Enoch go? Like, when it says he's not found, I just envisioned myself as his grandson just being like, where's, where's granddad? Where's, where's, where'd he go? I wonder how long they looked for him, you know? How long did you look for Enoch before you went, God got him? <laughs> like, I guess, you know? I don't know. It's just, I love this story. 
He was not found because God had taken him. So he doesn't even die. It's crazy. God just took him. And now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, the pastor jumps out of Enoch's story and gives us some real-life application in verse 6. And he says, and without faith, he's referencing Enoch's faith, without faith is impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, when he's saying this, he's implying that that is what Enoch did. He drew near to God. You've got to believe in him, believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. He's implying here that Enoch was a guy who sought God, and his reward was that he dodged death. He didn't even experience it. The the book of Genesis has a little bit of his story here, and it gives us some details about what Enoch's life was like. It's not great detail, but it's enough detail for us to take some truth from it. It says, Enoch walked with God. And after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters... Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. My man lived a year worth of years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. You know, I love that. Trent walked with God, and then he was not. I would love that to be my story. God took him. This is just an awesome story. And what's crazy about Enoch's story of walking with God, obviously he was doing things that pleased God, and God was pleased to walk with him, When you juxtapose Enoch's story against Abel's story, you learn this lesson about faith. There is no formula to life by faith. Track with me here. You have these two guys. Abel's name literally means vapor. Like that's what the Hebrew name is translated, vapor. Like it's here today and it's gone. And that was exactly what happened to him. Look at Abel. Abel lived a righteous life. He pleased God through his sacrifice. And then he dies for doing good. Now go to Enoch. His name means disciplined. It's as if his name kind of implied that he's gonna live this very disciplined. I wake up every day, I walk with God. It's what I do, it's what I do. Next day, I'm gonna do it all over again. I walk with God. And then I just don't. (laughs) Enoch, in the same way Abel was, was counted righteous by God. Enoch, in the same way, pleased God. And then very counter to Abel, who lived a very short vapor of a life and died for doing what was good, you have this guy Enoch who lives 365 years and then is rewarded with a long life and doesn't even die. Abel dies for being righteous. Enoch lives a righteous life and doesn't even die. There is no formula to life by faith. What God did in their life does not mean he is going to do that same thing in your life. The fastest way To get frustrated with God is to create a God in your mind that has to meet your expectations based off of how you see him doing things in other people's lives. And the older I've gotten, the more I've walked with God, the more thankful I am for the times where God has not met my expectations of him. If God met all of our expectations, he could not exceed them. And that's the thing we really do want. A God who exceeds our expectations. A God who says... You have a race to run. And the way you run your race, by faith, will look different than somebody else's. This is really what the author of Hebrews is all pointing to. All chapter 11 is pointing to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Throw off everything that entangles and run with endurance the race marked out for you. You have a race. You have a lane that you're supposed to run in. And the fastest way to hit a wall, to roll an ankle, is to keep your eyes on the race that somebody else is running. 
If anything else, let their race and the way they run their race inspire and encourage you, but please do not develop expectations for how God will encourage you, equip you, and help you run your race by looking at what he does in their life. You will set yourself up for catastrophic failure. Here's, here's something that sounds kind of controversial, but when it's not explaining it, you will be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. God does not love us equally. To say God loves us equally is saying that it's the same amount, like, and it's the same content, okay? That five of his love for me is five of his love for you. God does not love us equal because that would also imply that it is exactly, I have the same exact number of fingers up on this hand as I have exactly up on this hand. God does not love us equally, which is to say he does not love us exactly the same. The beautiful thing about our God is he loves us uniquely, which means there's not less or more of it, but to say that it's equal is to downgrade his love and to just make it this blanket statement. His love is so diverse and so unique for you. He has given you all these little bits of pieces of how he's gonna love you and show his love to you that I will never ever experience. And you know what? I wouldn't even read him as love. I'd be like, God, that's just weird. I don't really like this. Like, you know, if you come to my house and you say, here is some kimchi, I'd be like, this stuff is gross. I had it before. I don't want it anymore. But there's some of you in this room who like, you're, you want that kind of stuff and you want kombucha and, and these things you can get at health food stores. And I'm just like, no, thank you. That's not my love language. I don't, that's not my love food. Take me to Gezzo's. I don't want this. See, God knows what we want. God knows what we desire. Here's why. He created us with those desires so that only he could fill them. The other thing we learn about Enoch's life and what does it look like to live a heroic by faith life is when it says he walked with God, it implies that he was living life with God and life with God is greater than life for God. Many people have sat out once they put their faith and their trust in God. Now they say, I am going to do life for God. And if I'm a baseball coach, I'm gonna be a baseball coach for God. And if I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm gonna be a stay-at-home mom for God. And if I'm in sales, I'm gonna do sales for God. And if I'm in whatever thing, I'm a high school student, middle school student, I'm gonna do middle school for God. And God's like, thank you. You know what I like more than that? Let's go for a walk. Let's step by step, day by day. Let's do this together. Because what can happen sometimes is you set out in your little uh, planning meeting. All right, here's what life for God looks like. Dear diary, here's what life for God is gonna look like today. I'm gonna do this and this and this and this. And you have not said, Father, I surrender my whole day to you. Spirit, guide me, lead me, do with my life what you would do in my life. I cannot wait to see where we go today. Jesus tells this wild story, this terrifying story in the gospel of Matthew about separating people out. He says, at the end, there's gonna be these people who they're gonna show up to me and once I tell them that they're on the wrong side of judgment, that their life is doomed to hell, that they're not making it in, they're gonna give this case of why they should be let in and they're gonna list out all the things that they did. Really holy, righteous things, he tells them, like you know, casting out demons and prophesying and miracles. They're gonna say, Jesus, we did all these things. We should be in. We live life for you, Jesus. Look at all the things we did for you, Jesus. And Jesus goes... When that day comes, I will have to say, I never knew you, which, which tells us that there is a possibility, and it's a very scary one because Jesus mentions it, that we will come to the end of our life, thought we had lived all that life for Jesus, never have lived that life with Jesus, and we will not experience eternity with Jesus. That's terrifying. So the only thing I can tell you is make sure you are walking with Jesus.
Next guy we see here, hero, is Noah. It says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, that was a big old flood and catastrophe that was coming, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So we read this story of Noah, and I, and I highlight the word reverent fear because I think sometimes that's why we think what happened happened. That God looks at this creation that he has Everybody's doing ridiculous, wild and out of control stuff. God looks down at it and goes, the only guy who's even decent is this guy named Noah. Let me show up and tell him some stuff. And God shows up and goes, Noah, listen up. I want you to go out in the woods. I want you to big a big old boat, get some gopher wood. We're gonna get a lot of gopher wood, big guy. So you better get used to it. You're gonna be building a boat for decades. You're gonna build this boat. Then I'm gonna send flood over the earth. It's gonna wipe out every living thing except for your family. If they get on the boat that you built and you need you to get all the animals on here also. And, and Noah goes, that whole flood and everything dying and all my, my family and my grandkids and and all the animals I like, all of them dying. That sounds absolutely terrible. Yes, God, in reverent fear, I will do what you're telling me to do. And we kind of highlight this moment where God's speaking to him as this moment where Noah has this reverent yet fearful faith in God that it says, okay, I'll build this giant boat that's gonna take a decade to build. What I want you to understand is this reverent fear that Noah has in this moment when God shows up and speaks to him is not his first time living in reverent fear. This is Noah's life. Noah had lived days in and days out of reverent fear for God. And that, that's why God had favor on him in the first place to go, you know what? I'm sick of all of them, but one. If you go back, to Genesis right before God shows up to Noah and you go, why was God so mad? Like why was God ready and, and willing to, to wipe out literally the entire earth? What was, what was maybe some of the things that are cited in scripture that riled up his anger? If you go back, one of the things that you unequivocally can deduce from that passage right before God calling his judgment upon the world is that there were men who were taking advantage of women. Go back and read it. There were men who were saying, we want that one, I like that one, and that one, I'm gonna take that one, and that one's now mine. And that's what was happening in God's world, and it infuriated God as his men took advantage of his women. Now, you're maybe sitting here going, well, that, none of that happens nowadays. You know, nobody's walking into Target just, you know, going, I like you. And then, you know, come on, we're getting in my minivan. Like, you know, there's some Targets that happen, not that one. Um, but let me, let me be serious with, with you guys for a second. When I was thinking about, okay, well, how does this all apply um, to modern day life? I think the same thing that was infuriating God in Noah's time is the same thing that infuriates him now. Nowadays, we're not in a patriarchal society where I can just go, well, I like uh, brunettes who's you know, medium height with those things bigger than those things and that thing smaller than that thing and, and that's the one I want, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get that one and that one's gonna be my wife because of my personal tastes. 
We don't do that now. You, you court, you date, you have conversations, you text, you do all those things, and that's how you, you find a wife. But there's this multi-billion dollar industry called porn industry. And it has more revenue than all five major sports leagues combined. And given whatever proclivity I have or particular taste I have in a certain individual, I can go and find whatever I want and I can digitally and mentally take over and take advantage of and take her as my own. And I'm telling you, like, go back and read scripture. This is the thing that infuriated God. People, men of God, I'm talking to you guys right now. Men of God going, I want that one, but not that one. And that one fits my fancy more, so I'll take that one. And listen, that's, that very same thing happens in a digital age that we live in. I'll take that, but not that. And again, you may go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not putting nobody in my minivan and taking them to my basement, Trent, chill out. We serve the same God who said, if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, it is like he, it, it not is like, it is as if he had already committed adultery with her. See, Jesus takes what the law was and he says, in love, I'm not making things easier, I'm making things harder. And the reason he's doing that is he's saying the only way you are to live this life by faith is if it's my life living through you. So Noah, again, I, I think to the men in the room, let's be, let's be Noah's. Like if God's gonna look down the world and go, every man in the world is going, I can take what I want. I can click on what I want. I'll scroll through until I find one that is exactly like I like it to look. And if that's the, that's the reverberation of what manhood is in our society, then I believe God in this generation as well would be looking for some Noahs, some men of God who go, she's mine. And this is what beauty looks like because this is what God has given to me and I will find beauty in no one else but my bride. And if I don't have a bride, I will wait and wait until God by faith brings me the bride and then she'll be my one bride till the day I die if that's his will for my life. So Noah, he lives this life of faith. God has called him to do this. And one of the things that I think is awesome about Noah's life is if that was the society that he lived in, then as a guy who tried to just have a life in college where I lived things the right way and did things the right way, and the high schoolers in the room who are trying to keep your virginity through high school, the high schoolers in the room who are trying not to be at, at keg stand parties, you know that there is a tension that you live under when you are in an incredibly corrupt society and you're the one fish that's swimming upstream. There's a tension that's there where people begin to call you crazy. They begin to call you wild. They begin to call you a prude. They begin to call you a goody two-shoes. They call you all sorts of things because they don't see you going the way they go. And there's this reality that exists in our lives where if we're gonna walk by faith, we need to understand that faith is like a muscle. And the more you walk by faith, the stronger that muscle gets. And the point I think is drawn out from the story of Noah is Noah was doing this faith thing consistently. He had reverent fear from day one. 
And when God shows up and gives him this really crazy plan, Noah's been abstaining from taking advantage of women for years and years and years and years, gained the favor of God. God goes, hey, I want you to, again, keep that reverent fear thing going between us. I want you to build a big giant boat because all those people have been taking advantage of all these other people. I'm about to wipe them off the face of the earth. And there's this reality in bodybuilding or working out, building muscle for athletes and different stuff uh, that's called the TUT. You guys ever heard of this, TUT? Anybody know what that stands for? Who wasn't at the first service? TUT stands for time under tension. And basically to explain it in a, in a dumbed down version as a dummy like me can explain it, time under tension is what my muscles have to experience if they're going to achieve hypertrophy or growth. My muscles aren't gonna grow unless I get them time under tension. If I don't go and actually work out and put tension under those muscles, then there's not gonna be growth that happens. And when you look at Noah's life, this is what you come to find out, that he lived a very long life, albeit, with time under tension, swimming completely upstream. And what that did for him is that time under tension, day in, day out of not living like the men of God in his society and his culture, developed a strong faith muscle in this guy. So when God shows up with this wild and crazy plan, hey, go to the woods, get about a whole entire hundred acres worth of gopher wood and build a giant boat that's gonna take you decades to build. And then all the animals are gonna come get on it. And I'm gonna wipe out the entire world and save just your family. It's gonna rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Noah just goes, all right. That's time under tension that builds a faith muscle that believes God when it's crazy. And what I, I hope you see in this is that consistent faith is the only thing that leads to crazy faith. Some of us want like this crazy faith, like God, I just want to do something you know, big for your kingdom. And God's going, bro, you're not consistent enough for that. <laughs> like, I'd love, yeah, we'll get there. But, but it'd be like, you know, if I, I, I go and I watch, you know, some guy do, do a, a world record deadlift and he lifts like a thousand pounds and I just go, God, I want to get under there and do that same thing. And I go to that weight and, I, you know, pull this and I'm getting hemorrhoids and blow my back out. Like, it's just terrible stuff. Like, that's what happens to me when I try to lift something that I have not consistently worked myself up to being able to carry what I'm, what I'm trying to explain to us is all of us want Noah type of faith and Abraham type of faith and Cain and Abel, not Cain, Abel type of faith and Enoch type of faith. We want the faith that lives like our heroes, but what we have to understand is consistency leads to those crazy faith moments where God shows up, God shows out, and we have to point to him and that act of faith proves that he does exist. Now, let's keep talking about crazy because some of you have experienced this truth where God has called you to do something crazy. And the beautiful thing about crazy is that what's called crazy in one season will be called faith in another. Think about Noah. You know, it takes him decades to build this thing. Meanwhile, everybody around him is like, you know, you, you ride your camel by Noah's house. You're like, that guy's so crazy. And you ride your camel back by his house and then you tell your grandkids about it and your grandkids ride by Noah's house and that guy's so crazy. Man, he's just out there building his boat. And everybody rides by Noah's house. Man, this dude's crazy. And then it starts raining and everybody goes, that guy's not crazy. <laughs> that guy's got faith. Now listen, that's some of you guys' story right now. Like God's calling you to do something crazy. And right now it seems crazy. I remember having people telling me that like leaving my, my dream job at the church that I was at before I came here, that was a crazy idea. Yeah, man, you're on, the, you're on the fast track. 
that's, don't, 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 don't go. You, you, you got a family and you're going to go do nothing? No, that's that's kind of crazy. It's like, mm-hmm. That's what God's telling me to do. Now, well, and even in my opinion, kind of look crazy then. I look at it in this season now, I go, oh, it's faith. You know, some of you guys are going like, hey, uh, keep the baby. And you're going, God, that's crazy. I'm too young. I don't know how to raise a kid. I don't uh, know what to do. And God's going, yeah, it might feel a little crazy right now. But what looks crazy right now in this season, in another season, it's going to look like faith. Some of you guys are going, I need you to adopt. And you're like, I already got four kids. <laughs> that's crazy. And even though I told my Christian friends, they were like, that's crazy. Remember, even your Christian friends, are, you tell them the crazy faith thing that God told you to do, and they're still going to go, that's crazy. If, if Peter can spend three years with almost every waking moment of his life, I mean, like, as close as he could possibly get to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, I got this crazy thing I want to tell you guys. I'm about to go be a spit on, whipped, beaten, and go to the cross, and I'm going to give my life. And Peter goes, Jesus, you're crazy. If he can get it wrong, spending three years directly beside the Messiah, then other Christians will as well. And there are going to be times in your life where Jesus is going to call you to do something that is crazy faith. And nearly everybody around you is going to go, that's crazy. I think that's a, that's a, that's a bad idea. Now, again, I always recommend get wise counsel. Uh, I recommend not just going like, you know, it could be the burrito you ate the night before. And you're like, man, like God was like, I didn't never tell you to do that. That was you, dude. Um, Get the counsel, but when you know, when the Spirit confirms those things inside of you, you know that's what God's calling you to. Out of reverent fear, at a time spent under tension, go, God, I know this looks crazy right now, but I'm trusting that by faith what's crazy right now in another season is going to look like faith. And I pray that somebody here today, you're, 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 you're in one of those crazy faith moments right now. And today is the answer you need to hear, yes. Yes, do that crazy faith thing. It may look crazy right now, I'm telling you. It looked really crazy building that big old giant boat until the day it started raining. Now, as much as these stories are awesome, as much as things that we can learn from these guys' stories, their stories really are only worth anything when we look at them and how they point us to Jesus. So I wanna end today by doing just that. First of all, let's go to Abel. When you think about Abel and what we see happen in his life, you see Abel offered a sacrifice of his firstborn. And then you look at Jesus and we see Jesus actually was the firstborn and he offered his life as a sacrifice. In Abel, we see innocent suffering at the hand of the guilty. In Jesus, we see the very same thing, but the ultimate innocent suffering at the hand of a guilty world. In Abel, we see him give by faith an offering and then he suffers death that he did not see coming. And then in Jesus, we see him become that offering and suffer a death that he knew all the well was coming his way. When we look at a guy like Enoch, we see that Enoch walked with God, but then we see Jesus and we see a man who walked as God. When we look at Enoch, we see a guy who dodged death, but when we see Jesus, we see a man who didn't just dodge death, but he destroyed it and said that if you would come through my life, my life who like Abel, sacrificially suffered, righteous, dying for the unrighteous at the hand of the unrighteous, then you can be somebody who also too, in a greater sense than even what Enoch experienced, you will allow death to not be the end of the road, but just to bend in the road that carries you on into eternity with the Father. I didn't just dodge death, I destroyed it so you wouldn't have to face it. 
And then we see Noah. We see Noah save his entire household and watch the rest of the world die. And we see Jesus do the exact opposite. We see Jesus surrender his life to the flood of God's fury to save the entire world. And by faith, Noah had one boat that was the one way of salvation. And then we see Jesus who is the exact same thing, the one way, unless you get on this life that is the life of Christ by faith, you will not survive the flood of the fury of God. You will either let me take it and get on the boat of this life by faith or you will be out there in the water trying to float behind the storm and the torrent of God's wrath and fury. Jesus shows us in the same way that the only way Noah and his family was saved by the boat, the only way you will be saved is by the Son of God. And today, I wanna offer that salvation to you. There's only one way. Your good works won't do it. Your good offerings won't do it. Your life of faith won't do it. You surrendering your life over to him, surrendering all that you have, laying that at his feet, saying, Jesus, cover me with your blood to wash away my unrighteousness. And I now take your righteousness into my life. I give my life fully to you. I surrender it all. To every day from here, give you my first, give you my best, and trust that you did the same for me. If you're here today and you want to give your life to him, I pray that today as we commune with him, you would see in your hands this representation that Jesus did, in fact, not just give you leftovers, did not just give you a little bit. He did not tithe what he gave. He gave you his all. He gave you his best. And it equaled broken body and poured out blood for your forgiveness, for my forgiveness as well. And so today as you commune with him, I pray that you ask him to show you what it looks like for you to live a life by faith. And then as we stand and sing, you're gonna to get to sing a song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me. Though none go with me, I'm still gonna follow. And if that's you today and you wanna surrender your whole heart, surrender your whole life to Jesus, I'll be right there in the back. I'd love to, to get you baptized today uh, in the same way to to go in the water and through the water, through the flood, and come out with life victorious. Let's pray, and if you feel God moving in your life today and you wanna to surrender it to him, I'll be back there in the back as the song plays. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Father, thank you for how you're moving, for how you're working, for what you're doing here in this church. Father, I pray that you would continue to allow your gospel to penetrate deeper than our hearts. I pray that today we saw what life by faith looks like, and I pray today we saw life by faith culminating in your son's life, death, and resurrection by faith.